welcome to the True Crime Squad. This is Katie Weaver. I'm here with my sister, co-host, and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. How's, How's it going? going? Oh. It's, it's good. It's <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. There, there are people I'd really like to punch and probably use a lot dirtier words than I should on this live stream. And I say fuck, so you think that was as bad as it would get. But no, Melanie Pulowski. I got a warning on Twitter for calling Melanie Pulowski an asshole. <laughs> well, that's not what you called her in our personal messaging. <laughs> I believe the see you next Tuesday word came out. And I yes, was it did. feeling it with. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Oh, you guys today. Oh, <laughs> everything about today. Okay. The courtroom. It takes some patience. It does. And I mean, there's just a like cult following in there, folks that have kind of set up like it's their living room. And it's fine. Like, I'm not criticizing them. They're there every day. When you get there every day, you're pretty comfy. But sometimes it's just too much for me. I'm there to work. And I'm there to hear. And sometimes it's hard to hear. And oh, my goodness, there were things today that were on my nerves. And I really had to be like, listen, just don't worry about it. Focus where you need to focus. God damn it. You know, it was, it was, oh, I don't know. You know how you, you just have didn't a day. tell anyone to go sit in the back because you couldn't hear over them? No, but there were a couple of times that I was really close to saying, hey, guys, I can't hear. Like, I know. And, and everyone, it's like, I, I don't mean to criticize really. And I like that it's laid back in there in some ways. You know, I will admit that I yelled out at one point today, I object, badgering <laughs> the witness. <laughs> <laughs> But I even objected on Twitter, but <laughs> it was a day, you guys, my God, it was a day. And then we break for lunch. I was with Aunt Sue today mm -hmm. and we went to a little restaurant, a little Mexican restaurant we like. We get in there to sit down and I realize I'm carrying my water bottle. Who takes their water bottle in a restaurant? And then guess Very who left their water bottle in the restaurant and had to go back later and hope it was still there. And it was. Are you serious? <laughs> this I, day has just done you in, hasn't it? I just, yes. So ungrounded. Oh, okay. So here we go. Yeah. People need to be courteous, like in the movie theater and they're supposed to be. And for the most part they are, but today, especially with Audrey, um, she had some blockbusters. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll hash it out together. But every time she'd say something, everybody would go, <gasps> I'm like, stop. I can't. <laughs> anyway, it's fine. It's probably fine. I'm fine. But yeah, it was an interesting, really interesting day. But before that, I have a picture to share because, you know, who doesn't want to see pictures of cute pigs? Uh, I don't even know. I just took this in the kitchen. Oh, Zig. Oh, no. <laughs> Try not to look too close at how dirty my kitchen floor is. Thanks to Zig. Mm. Uh, the weather's beautiful and the pigs are outside. So happy. They're under their beloved pine trees, digging and laying in the pine needles like they like to and bedding down and they're thrilled. But <laughs> he came in wondering what time was dinner with that face. And I just had to take a picture of him. So this is zigzag. He's our male. He's four years old and he spends his winters sleeping on the couch and his, well, and his nights and his summers out under the pine trees, just doing pig things. Yeah. He's a very it, cute boy. But isn't he a handsome man? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, is he will smirch your guy. pants. Oh yes, yeah. He will. 
you see him come in the house like that and you better get a washcloth fast and get that mm -hmm. face wiped down or he will wipe it all over your pants. Yeah. Or the couch. Yeah. Yeah. This is my life now. <laughs> so I, and I realize some of you don't know that I live with too many pigs besides all my dogs. Uh, yeah. So I'll get mm -hmm. a picture. Pigs. Yeah. They're mini. big guys. Yeah. But uh, I mean, they are technically mini pigs, but they are not as many as, well, I wish they were. <laughs> Especially if they step on your barefoot, because those hooves, <gasps> dear God. Yeah. You'll say words you didn't even know you knew. Or womp you in the back of the leg with their snoot. They're naughty for that sometimes when you're feeding them or you're eating and not giving them bites. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but anyway. Your little sow, who is an actual sow, has oh, done that several times. Zigzag has a heart of gold. He is the sweetest boy on the planet. He would never be naughty on purpose. Our sow is the absolute opposite. <laughs> she is grumpy. She's rude. She's belligerent. And then occasionally super sweet. They, the pigs love my husband like you can't believe. And if he ever sits down on the couch or in his recliner, they will pile on top of him. Want to be cuddled. They want to get in his blankets. It's really cute. But uh, yeah, but our sow. Oh, aye, aye, aye. Now I know why we call women sows that are acting like a bitch. It's... <laughs> I met the sow, yeah. the queen Shoot sow. It. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. The queen sow. <laughs> uh, sure. Well, yeah, I can think of it? some other sows I we're going to talk about today. So yeah, we are. So again, I go into court today, going, it's got to be Melanie and Ian Pulaski day. It has to be. They've been in court for two days. Right. Yesterday just went really, really long with having to do the whole podcast and all of that no, bullshit yeah. yeah so here we are <laughs> renee oh Kristen wants a uh, pig updates every time now i i'll try i'll do better somebody told me the other day i didn't even know you have pigs anymore you never talk about them i went well it's been winter they've done nothing but sleep on the couch but now it's spring so we'll yeah we'll have more to say yeah. uh so again, I'm like, okay, it's going to be Pulowski Day. It's going to be Pulowski Day. <gasps> nay, nay. Well, it was, but not in the beginning. In the beginning, they called the infamous Audrey. The infamous Audrey, who we've never heard from. We always hear her name. Mm -hmm. We're like, what does this chick know? Uh-huh. Uh, she knows a lot. So Audrey is the friend that they went and visited in Missouri. So Audrey's a friend of Lori's. So the first thing they asked her about is if she'd ever stayed at Lori's house. Well, yeah. Remember when they had that conference in Arizona not too long after Lori and Chad met? And they, a bunch of these folks came and stayed at Lori's house, including Chad? When they invited Zulema over that day. What's that? They invited Zulema over. That was the day that, mm -hmm. yeah. They're really starting to gather their circle right there. And Audrey was there as well. Audrey at the time was actually living in Utah. And she had met these guys in St. George. It's like the whole, it's like lightning struck somewhere in the universe and pulled all of these psychos together. <laughs> Not just psychos, very vulnerable people. I want to say some things about Audrey, actually. Yeah. Audrey strikes me, especially after hearing all of this today. As someone who is extremely vulnerable. Where have we heard that before? Mm -hmm. uh, impressionable. 
really easy to manipulate and has a heart of gold. I really believe that about Audrey. Um, this was really hard for her. I also feel like Audrey's mental health is very fragile. Oof, yikes. And when she, and that, that's how she came across to me on the stand. So she met them there in Arizona. And after that, she kind of, she stayed friends with them. And she said that, yeah, Chad and Loria definitely kind of had a vibe going that weekend. She didn't really see anything like super physical or anything, but there was definitely kind of a vibe going on. Mm -hmm. So then she didn't have contact with them again until, well, Lori, she and Chad have been friends well before Lori, just like Melanie Gibb. Mm -hmm. And Lori or Chad called her in February and said, Lori really needs a friend. She's calling me a lot and I don't, I'm not always able to talk to her, you know, due to that pesky wife situation. And so I need you to be Lori's friend and talk to her on the phone and give her some attention. How pathetic is that? That is pathetic. Mm -hmm. Lori, who was married and had children, like, hello? Certainly had oh. enough of her own stuff. So Audrey, who had, I think, also kind of had a vibe with Chad. There are some saying, and I, I don't know where this is written, but I believe it's true because I think I've heard it before, too, that at one point he told Aubrey that they had been married in a past life. It's more of the shame, or the shame, more of the same and the shame, Chad. But uh, mm -hmm. So she agrees to do this, you know, and, and really befriends Lori. And so they start talking on the phone. She said sometimes it wasn't only every few weeks. Sometimes it was a lot more frequently than that. She said mostly they were talking about spiritual things, uh, not so much about things going on in their personal lives. Then in the summer of 2019, they saw each other again at some kind of spiritual-based event in Utah. Um, don't forget the summer of 2019 is when Charles died. But that didn't stop Lori from kicking her heels up and doing all the stuff. So at the time of that conference, Audrey was living in Utah. Lori was in a hotel. And Audrey spent time with Lori Zulima and Melanie Gibb and some other women she didn't know. And at the end of the conference, Lori invited them all to come back to her hotel and help her work on her husband. Charles. This was before Charles died. Mm. So she invites them to her hotel and they do a casting. So this is kind of the first thing that uh, this is the first time Audrey's been exposed to some of this stuff. The idea of zombies and people being possessed. She said she hadn't heard that before and didn't have any basis for it. Uh, but they did this kind of healing circle type thing they all held hands and they were all speaking out different uh things they were bringing like knives and fire and weapons of all the spiritual weapons they were going to bring forward to uh try and get the spirit out of charles uh audrey thought it was going to be like a prayer or something but they didn't they all took hands and she thought it was really weird. She thought it was really uncomfortable, but she didn't say anything. She just went along with it, except for that when it was her turn to speak, she just didn't say anything. 
And when they were done with that part, she went home. She said she was pretty uncomfortable with all of that. Then she and Lori continued to stay in touch on the phone, and she and Chad continued to stay in touch on the phone. She's read some of Chad's books and met him at one of his conferences. When she met him in a conference in 2018, you guys get a freaking load of this. She meets Chad at a conference. Next thing you know, he's reaching out to her on Facebook. He's reaching out to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is Chad the Trollop, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Reaching out there to try to, uh, I don't know, get his claws in. I, I, Chad was talking to a lot of women. Oh, but yeah. Was, Chad was talking to a lot of women. There have been quite a few who say they've had those same experiences with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was looking for his Elena. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yep, exactly. Uh, when Lori moved, so Audrey, interestingly, met Tylee when she was at their house for that first conference. She didn't have anything negative to say about Tylee. In fact, she seemed to take interest in Tylee and I don't know, care about Tylee. So when Lori moved to Rexburg, she asked Lori how Tylee was doing or what Tylee was up to, you know? And she kind of gave her a blow off. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's going to school at BYU-Idaho. She, I, I don't see her much. That's what she told her. Yeah. And remember, Tylee's age at this time. Yeah. Like, all these people just bought this as a minor child was just mm-hmm. off at college. Not seeing her mom. Like, that is not how this works. No, it isn't. Somebody in our chat a while back made a good point, and I never got to bring it up during that show because, you know, the chat moves fast. But they'd pointed out that um, somebody would have had to pay for college. (laughs) Right. Right. It won't be Lori, that's for sure. Lori pays for nothing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Anyway. She did meet uh, JJ once as well when she was there in Arizona. And she met Tammy once. That was very interesting. Audrey was heartbroken about Tammy. She cried a lot about Tammy on the stand. Audrey cried a lot today in general. She had a hard time speaking several times. There were some times that I don't know what she said because she was crying so hard. It was, this was very hard on her. So Chad had told Audrey that uh, Tammy, he'd had a message from a deceased relative that Tammy would pass away when she, before she turned 50. Then he told her that in January of 2019, about the same time he was telling everybody else that January, February, 2019. Uh, that's a real theme. Think about how premeditated this was. I mean, that was 10 mm-hmm. months before she died. 10 months And that's not all he told her. He also told her that uh, he knew he would remarry quickly. And it took him some time, but he did go ahead and tell her that it was going to be Lori. Yeah. This was in play for so long. It was. So long. Back that that far, they were already planning. Yep. Yep. Audrey asked Chad if he had told Tammy about his vision and his plan to get remarried. And he told her that he had and that his kids knew knew too. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Sure, Jan. Cool story, man. I'm sure Mm -hmm. that's true. 
Uh, he also told Audrey that he had been Methuselah and the Apostle James in past lives or probations, as Chad called them. Uh, he also said that Chad and Lori had been married during the time that he was James the Apostle and that Lori's name had been Elena. He mm. also told Audrey that she had been married to Jesus Christ in a past life and that her name was Joanna. <laughs> I mean, come on. Pause like, for a moment. Even like a small amount of research at all. How many Joannas do you guys know from the Middle East, for fuck's sake, Chad? <laughs> God almighty. You could at least try to be believable or whatever. And she believed that. She said that that uh, I think she wanted to believe that. Again, yeah. making people feel special. Making people think of feel different. And particularly people that I think didn't feel special. You know, yeah. didn't feel like they belonged anywhere. I got the direct uh, impression from Audrey that she didn't really have any friends. And these guys had become her, this little friend base that wanted her around and it felt good. Yeah. I was very sad for her. Yeah. Me too, Gran. I, I, this, it, I was very sad for her. Uh, in Missouri, er, in Audrey moved to Missouri. Why? Because the Lord told her to. She moved from Utah to Missouri to Liberty, Missouri, mm -hmm. which is near the Liberty Jail, which is a historical site for Mormons and not too far from Adam. Adam on Diamond. Adam on Diamond, which is basically uh, where the Mormons believe is the Garden of Eden. And she'd been living there because that's, she said she was inspired. She was told by the Lord to go live there. So then, of course, Lori. But interestingly, she moved away from all those people to do mm -hmm. that. Yeah, but she was doing her work there. Mm -hmm. This, I, I cannot, she didn't say it, but I am going to assume that this had to have been, at least in part, a manipulation by Chad or Lori mm -hmm. to get her there. They needed somebody, you know, at home base. And mm -hmm. then she was the one. So she had to be Lori's friend. She had to be the person holding down the fort in Missouri. She has a work at home job. And so she could go wherever and still work. And I feel like that's a part of it. Yeah. Yes, Kat, that is most definitely um, a Mormon belief and in, in the Book of Mormon that that is there in Missouri is where Christ will return. Yep. So in October 2019, Lori asked her if she and Melanie, the niece, Melanie P., could come see church historical sites. They said they had some free time and wanted to see the church sites that they'd never seen before. So they did. They went to the temple. They went to, like we said, Adam on Diamond. They went to Liberty Jail. And guess what else they did? Went to the temple, didn't they? Of course they went to the temple and they did a casting. Yes. Another casting. But this time it wasn't for Charles, who of course was dead. And Audrey knew Charles was dead. It was on Tammy. 
So they did this in their hotel room. And Audrey stayed with them that night. And Tammy announced, or sorry, Lori announced that Tammy had a spirit in her that needed to be taken out. And she said, Audrey said she didn't want to participate, that she didn't really understand what she was doing. And she said, Lori really pressured her and got upset and told her, you're supposed to be my friend. You're supposed to help me. See, Lori's nice until she doesn't get what she wants. And then actually she's vicious. And she said that she reiterated that she didn't want to and Lori just kept pushing her. And she said later in the night, she said a prayer to Heavenly Father because she didn't know what's going on. And she said that... uh asked she said basically she didn't help but she said a prayer for tammy instead yeah she was really starting to be like what the hell is going on here and audrey asked Lori if uh getting rid of dark spirits didn't work what was next and Lori said she'd come up with another idea uh and and anytime they thought they got a spirit out another one came right in and they'd need to try again she said it just kept going and going mm. so then Audrey gets a text from Lori saying that they'd done a lot of work, but it didn't, hadn't worked. And one got in, Tammy, and wanted to know if Audrey had any suggestions to help. And again, Audrey's like, why is she asking me this? I don't know what this is about. But she said that her, what she had gained from Lori or gleaned from Lori is that Tammy's spirit was in a cage or a spirit jail. And which is a was the spirit prison is kind of an LDS term. Uh, and that it needed to be freed mm -hmm. because some person had a uh, dark spirit had overtaken her body. Mm -hmm. uh, she said when she heard Chad say something to the effect of that the body's still alive or, or why the body is still alive, she realized that, uh, they must have taken things further that they didn't intend for the person to be helped or to live. And yet, just about a week and a half later, she goes to Hawaii with Lori and Melanie. Like, she can't say no, man. Right. She can't say no. Right. And she just keeps spending money and keeps doing more things. So she ends up in Hawaii. Uh, Melanie and Lori picked Audrey up and they stayed in a hotel together. Audrey said it was very uncomfortable. She said Lori told her that Melanie was going through a very hard time and that Melanie needed a friend. Oh, again, with Audrey having to be everybody's friend. Audrey was crying. She said shortly after she got there, Lori told her that Tammy had died. And when she asked her when, she said it had been about a week. And she asked how she passed, and she said she passed away in her sleep. And she was pretty devastated about it. Because, again, she had met Tammy. She was getting super uncomfortable with all of this stuff and was just feeling really, really weird about it. But she felt really bad, really bad. So she said while they were in Hawaii, they went on bike rides. They went to the beach. She said Lori was different. She said most of the time she was, uh, like, really high, laughing, silly, wild. And other times she got really agitated and snippy and nasty with Melanie. Interesting. 
And she said that Audrey said Lori would get phone calls and she'd leave for a long time and just kind of ditch her with Melanie. And that Audrey basically was supposed to stay with Melanie to keep her happy. So Audrey got really over this and said she was ready to go home. And Lori said she was also ready to go home. And Melanie said she wasn't ready to leave but didn't want to stay there alone. So Audrey, the friend, stayed there with her. So Lori buys a ticket and flies back to Idaho on a Wednesday. And Audrey and Melanie stayed in Hawaii until Sunday. And then they flew back to Idaho. She went with her because Melanie didn't want to travel alone. (laughs) So Audrey comes to Idaho. She said that she had wanted to pay her condolences in person to Garth and chat. But particularly Garth, because when she met Tammy, she also had met Garth and knew that Garth and Tammy were really close. And, you know, she thinks that there's this grieving family in Idaho that has just lost Tammy. And she said, you know, she kind of wanted to come and talk to them, you know, and give them some love. So that's what she did. That's what she thought she was going to do. Uh, She stayed at Lori's apartment. And she said Chad and Lori were there kissing and hugging. She said he came back late at night and stayed at the apartment with them. Melanie stayed in one of the uh, one of Lori's rooms. And while they were there, they all went to the temple together. My God, the temple. You guys, it is not normal for most Mormons to go to the temple this often. Yeah, I mean, some... most normal Mormon couples, LDS couples, go to the temple maybe once a month. Maybe once a week if they're retired and they really have time. Right. Temple sessions are hours long. And these guys going to the temple, like when they were back in Arizona, they were going to the temple every day. That is so bizarre. It is. It is definitely not normal Mormon behavior at all. No. In every town they're in, they go back to the temple. Like it's really weird. That to me is just really weird. So that was all initially that they had on direct. Archibald cross-examines Audrey. He says, if I take this right, you spent time with Chad and Lori in five different states, Utah, Missouri, Hawaii, Idaho, and Arizona. Is that right? And she agrees that that's right. However, Blake came back and corrected that later and said that is actually not right at all, that she was only with Lori in five states. She was with Chad in three states. Right. I don't know if it matters. But he wasn't Uh, in Missouri or Hawaii on those trips. Right. Audrey is 34. She's single. She works remotely in customer service. She was going to the Preparing People seminars, and he asked her, preparing a people for what? And she said the end of the world and that she was interested in learning about that subject. He asked about Chad's books. Uh, She said that he told her they were fictional, but they were based on spiritual experiences or impressions of other people that he had. He told Audrey all about his near-death experiences. He asked if preparing for the end of the world was a happy or sad event. And she said the scriptures said it will be both. Archibald asked, what's the point of preparing to be happy when Jesus comes again? What's the point? Audrey said, to be with God and be with your family and to live among people who want to be with God. You gotta, that's, it's an important point. What this means is the super duper good people 
get to be with God, the super duper not good people or not people who want to be with God or not Christians or maybe even not LDS Just people not Mormons in are Mormon going war. to become the enemies. Yeah. Right. Going to become the enemies. And so he asked her, what do you need to do to prepare for this event? And she said, live the commandments and living the best you can. She asked Audrey, or he asked Audrey if she'd ever met Alex. She had in Idaho, near the end of her friendship with Lori. Uh, she asked if she'd ever met Charles. She said yes, once in November when she was there. So she was there more than once. Uh, Archibald asked if he looked like he had a demon or was possessed. Audrey said she didn't get that impression at all. Uh, he asked Audrey if she was familiar with the concept of casting out evil spirits by Jesus Christ. She said she is. She said he asked her if the casting out uh, prayer circles were unusual to her, and she said they were. Uh, he asked Audrey who they were praying to during the casting. Some of these questions I think are odd but maybe they're not. I don't know. I sometimes they're, I think they're just talking to talk. Look, he's he's setting up their defense, which is mm -hmm. Lori was totally sucked in by Chad. She believed every single bit of yeah. this hook, line, and sinker, mm -hmm. and that's why he's setting all this up. That's yeah. what they're going to say: is that Lori I think you're right. didn't believe Chad, yeah, and and that she none of this was her idea. She just did exactly what he said. Yeah, she said. They were not calling upon Father in Heaven. She said the words that were used were aggressive things. And when he asked if the ladies in the hotel room oh, were aggressive things, he asked if they were calling upon the devil. She said she didn't confirm that, but she said that they were not calling upon God, basically. She hmm. confirmed for him that she was uncomfortable with the castings. And... Archibald asked if she was worried about Charles and if she called the police. And she said, no, more of this, you know, more of these people who knew. Mm -hmm. uh, she al he also asked if she had called church headquarters or talked to a bishop or anything. And she said, no. He said his words, if you thought they were a bunch of weirdos, you'd <laughs> never want to hang out with them again, right? <laughs> he was really high on life today. He said, weirdos crap weird stuff like that a lot of times like mm -hmm. just more slangy you know trying to talk like the jury yeah yeah she said she wasn't sure what to think uh he mentioned that she just kept getting back together with Lori and melanie even after she claims to have been really uncomfortable mm -hmm. uh she said she really wasn't in communication with them nearly as much as she was with chad that she and chad spoke on the phone frequently and Audrey asked, uh, or he asked Audrey how she first learned about zombies. And she said, not really from Chad. That really came from Lori for her. Mm -hmm. He asked Audrey if uh, she ever thought that Chad was a weirdo who was leading her astray. She said she didn't until the end of their friendship. She said, uh, for the longest time, she thought he had information that she needed to know and was doing good things. Again, just so easy to trick and manipulate. Just yeah. so easy. Yeah. That's just, it's really sad. Mm -hmm. 
what yeah. the like the long-term effects on her and on Melanie um, Gibb mm -hmm. and on Zulema. You know, you think about uh -huh. what this has done to their mental health yeah. and their self-esteem. You know, exactly. They've been gutted because they bought in. Well, this statement I thought was very telling. She said, at that time, I thought he was someone who could help understand. Understand what? Her. Her. Right? Her trauma. Mm -hmm. Her heartache. Her weirdness. Her discomfort. Her yeah. mental illness. Her unhappiness. That's what she meant. Uh, he asked, because she was following him, is it safe to say other women wanted to follow him too? Like Lori. And she said, yes. Melanie Gibb. Yes. Zulima. Yes. It's so clear. So clear. Uh, mm -hmm. Then, of course, Chad, yes, as we know, he told her about being Methuselah. <laughs> this one killed me. Sometimes I really do love Archibald for the stuff he says. He said that Chad had told her about all of these uh, other probations where he had been some kind of a great person. And Audrey says, yes. And he said something to the means of, uh, so Chad never said he was uh, like a loser in the 1700s or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was a loser in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> a loser. He said a loser it several in the times. 1700s. Like, yeah. That's they funny. were like a loser or he was always like a, a really cool guy, right? He was, he was always a really cool guy. And she's like, I guess. <laughs> loser the whole room we're all like yeah it's a very not. valid point though you know like mm -hmm. you know it's always somebody famous and important and you know it's never just peasant number three who dies under the the wagon wheels of the prince or whatever you know <laughs> yep nope always the super cool dude yeah <laughs> uh of course, Chad told Audrey he had been Jesus' brother in a prior life and that Chad was married to Lori. We know all of this. Um, mm -hmm. Archibald said, well, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to think you've been married to Jesus, right? Like, you, probably, you had to have thought that was pretty cool. And she's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then he said, so if you thought Chad Daybell is telling me about my past, he can probably predict the future, too. And Audrey said, yes. And he said, this gave you a feeling of, I'm somebody, right? And she said, yes, through a lot of tears. Uh, he asked Audrey crazy. why she moved to Missouri. She said she did it after she prayed about it. Uh, he asked if she believes Jesus is going to come back to Missouri when he comes to earth. Uh, she said, that is a teaching of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He asked her about the casting she participated in in Missouri. She said that she wasn't sure what was going on and really didn't want to participate. That's why she said her own prayer instead to help Tammy if there was something wrong. This is what really got to my heart. Is like she wanted to truly help Tammy. She was hearing mm. all this scary shit that Tammy is, you yeah. know, Tammy has got something wrong with her. Tammy, who was super kind to her when she met her, and Tammy, the wife of her friend, Chad, and she was really worried, genuinely worried about Tammy and wanted to help her. I, I wish she had wanted to help her enough to call the police, but I just don't think, I just don't know. Right. I just don't know. Uh, 
she said this casting was a little different. They weren't holding hands. Uh, Archibald asked Audrey what her score on the light dark scale was. She couldn't remember the number, but she had a good score. Of course she did. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He asked Audrey. Oh, wait, listen to this. Paula says, I wonder how hard it was for him to not claim he was Jesus. You know he wanted to, right? <laughs> I keep thinking every time I hear he was Jesus' brother, I'm like, come on. He wanted to say he was Jesus, but he thought maybe that, that mm -hmm. was a step too far. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Oh. Yep. I'm sure that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he asked her, if you were so uncomfortable with these people, like, why didn't you call the police about Charles or Tammy being in danger? She said it didn't really occur to her. Uh, he asked her why she didn't go home after Hawaii since she was so uncomfortable in Hawaii. And she cried and cried and said, because I have a big heart and I try to help those around me. And it's true. She was trying to help Melanie at that point. Right. And, and in her mind, these were spiritual problems. Like, mm -hmm. no, she had no concept of they're going to murder these people. You know, mm -hmm. like this was yeah. a spiritual problem. She's trying to solve it through spiritual means, mm -hmm. which I can see why she wouldn't have thought to call the police, yeah. you know? Yep. So Archibald said, that's what friends do. They try to help each other, right? And she says, yes. Uh, then he asks her why they went to the temple in Rexburg when she arrived, or if she went to the temple when they got to Rexburg. And she said she did. She said the temple is a place she can go to serve others. It's a place of peace. He has no further questions at this point. So Rawlings gets back up. It was Rawlings that was on cross with her. And she gets back uh, up and asks for some clarification. So she wanted to know with the castings that took place in these hotel rooms, who organized them? Who picked the targets? Who told everyone what they were going to do? And that was all Lori. Then she asked her about terminating her friendship with Lori. And she said in when she was there in Idaho in 2019, she decided that uh, she prayed about it and decided that this was uh, all wrong. And she didn't think that it was wise for her to stay friends with them anymore. So Audrey told Lori that she wanted to leave and she was going to go upstairs and pack her bags. And then she said, is there anything weird going on that I don't know about? And Lori got defensive and asked her, what do you mean? And, she, and Audrey said, I don't know anything. And, of course, Lori was like, of course not. And so she took her at her word. But then as she turned to go upstairs, she says that Lori started laughing at her. And said, this is what she says, Lori said. You're so naive and too trusting. You're like a little child. You think the world is all unicorns and rainbows. You go around helping people and serving them. Well, I've got news for you. Not everyone is a good person and not everyone can be so kind. And this is where she dropped the bomb of all bombs. Mm -hmm. She said, and then Lori threatened to kill me. Our whole courtroom went, <laughs> and then she said she would cut me up and put me in, a, in trash bags and there would be blood and bleach everywhere, and they would bury me in a place that nobody would ever find me. And this is after the kids are dead. And this is on, we have already had direct, we've already had cross. 
This is on redirect. But here's the thing. Tanya Rawlings opened the door for it. She said, did Lori ever threaten you? And this is when that came up. So Rawlings has no more. So Archibald gets up again. And he is spitting blood at this point. And he he came at her hard. Like, I've never seen Archibald like this. And he was like, you never said that to the grand jury. He said, you promised at the grand jury under oath to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And he's like, is that right? And she said, yes. He said, nothing of this sort was talked about. You want the jury to believe that you didn't just make this last crap up? And Audrey said, I did not make it up. She said she never mentioned it before because she's been so scared. Archibald kept pushing her. But why should the jury believe you? You never told this to the grand jury. Why should the jury believe you? And she said it really never came up in previous testimony. And she said, I'm, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. He has nothing further. Rawlings tries to come back with one more question. And Boyce says no. And we break for morning break. And everybody's like, what (laughs) the hell just happened? Yeah. Yeah. So there's been rumors that she took the fifth at the grand jury. And didn't really testify at all. And so interesting. Is that true? Is what she said today true? I scrolled through Twitter looking at some of the other podcasters that really don't think it was true. A lot of people think it wasn't true, but it doesn't really matter if we think it was true. It matters if the jury thinks it was true. And Lori was furious. Lori was absolutely furious. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Do I think it's probable? Yeah, I do. Do I think that Lori can turn on a dime and get mad uh, and get shitty? Definitely. Because Lori's your best friend as long as she's getting what she wants out of you. Right. But then what? Right? Right. So that's what happened. I'll tell you, it rocked every courtroom. Everybody was just like, you've got to be kidding me that that just happened right now. But the judge did not instruct the jury to disregard that did he he didn't strike it no so no and it's true audrey benefits in no way by lying um again audrey very vulnerable i think quite ill but why would she come up with that but it's crazy to me didn't come up in the direct didn't come up in the redirect and then, or, or in the cross, and then suddenly in the redirect at the very end, she just vomits this out. Like, it was wild, you guys. It was really wild. That is, wow. I'm not going to write it completely off. I don't think we should. Right. Again, it doesn't really matter if we think it's true. It matters if the jury thinks it was true. Right. And in a lot of ways, she was a very believable witness. And I think somebody that a lot of the jury probably their heart went out to. Mm-hmm. She cried a lot. She was very scared. This was a really hard experience for her. And I would think that a lot of the jury, especially like the moms and, you know, more maternal members of the jury, mm-hmm. probably just wanted to give this poor girl a hug. Right. Now, well, and you, you can't, 
deny the the similarities to way the way that Tylee's body was treated. Like that's oh and right, right. So Hmm. I don't know what to say because obviously the the prosecution had to have known there had been a threat or that she had said this maybe in prep because they asked her. But why didn't they ask her on direct? Right. Why didn't they? But maybe she was waiting. Maybe that was intentional, too, because she knew she would have redirect. So maybe she was saving that. Maybe she was. Boy, Archibald came at her with both barrels. Mm -hmm. No big surprise. So we go on morning break. We come back. And I agree, Kat, yeah, that watching Lori's attitude while listening to Audrey, maybe it made her decide to tell it, or maybe that is the thing that will make the jury decide that this was or wasn't true. Mm -hmm. Because Lori, yesterday, with the giggling on the whole, uh, you know, talking about her in chat, acting like teenagers and being all over each other in front of uh, Alice and her husband, that she was giggling about that. You know, I... That's so creepy. Lori's doing a lot of things on the stand that I think make her look very guilty. Mm-hmm. And surely the jury are peeking, you know, grabbing a peek of that here and there besides listening to the witnesses to wonder what the hell is up with this lady, you know, whose children have been murdered and she's sitting here giggling about flirting with the man she'd been having an affair with. And my God. And her co-defendant. Uh, Lori mm-hmm. was just looking angry. She shook her head several times. She just looked like she was shooting eye darts. She was probably doing a casting, uh, to be honest. Mm, probably. On poor Audrey. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's true. That was in my notes. I was looking at, I'm looking at Nate's notes because I already know what's in mine. <laughs> and so, and his and mine are always different because he, you can only type so fast Mm -hmm. that is true jennifer he Lori said after she that rant about that she'd cut her up and they'd never find her again and she said i will go to a mental institution over this if i have to what a weird thing to say so on one hand it's a little convenient made this up Lori did go to a mental institution they did cut up tylee there were trash bags. Right. That part, that, I don't know. Or was there a smaller threat that Audrey has confabulated now into something bigger? Because mental illness, um, many mental illnesses include a problem with something called confabulation. And that means that, they don't necessarily remember exactly what happened. And so they kind of, their brains make up part of it and add pieces in there that may or may not have actually occurred. Sure. That sounds a little bit like confabulation to me. I know. I know. So we don't know. We don't know. Uh, would Audrey know any of that? Yeah, sure. Why wouldn't she? Anybody mm-hmm. who's been playing or, you know, following this would know that. Would like, know all of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was Audrey. One piece of information we got today from the bailiff. We have the best bailiff in Rexburg. He is the nicest guy. Mm -hmm. And he knows your name. Every day I walk in and he goes, hi, Katie. And I'm like, how do you know my name? He's such a nice person. Anyway, 
He told us today that sentencing will take at least four months. That is wild to me. Mm -hmm. Because I, of the pre-sentencing report that has to be written. Wow. Uh, and stuff that it takes some time, that it'll take some pretty good time before Lori actually gets sentenced. I did not know it would take that long where they took the death penalty off the table. That's wild. Yeah, no, it's going to take a hot minute. So I thought that was interesting. We were talking to him about what happens when the jury's out, when the jury comes back? Like, what mm. are we supposed to do? And he said, you better get here as fast as you can. We asked, like, when the jury comes back, will they, uh, like, will it be the next day? Will it be that very minute? Like, how are they going to handle that? And he said, I don't know that he knew for sure, but he said, truly, when the jury's out, you guys better be planning on getting back here as fast as you can. Because mm -hmm. truly, is the jury going to be out that long? I I mean, is this going to be like I Murdoch speed? So, or but, I mean, well, it is a lot to just review. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have to sort through all of those charges and decide which yeah. ones stick, you know. So it, right. it could take a hot minute. But anyway, that's what we were asking is, but, but he, I think, uh, wasn't quite sure. I, he kind of, I think he thought that we were talking about sentencing because he's like, oh, it's, that's going to take like four months. And then we're like, no, 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 no. Like when the jury's out. When the jury comes back, then what? He's like, oh, you guys better get here as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. okay. That's what I said. Once the, When the jury's out, I won't leave Rexburg for any reason. So that we'll be yeah. as close as possible. Yeah. For sure. Yep, yep. So anyway, then they brought uh, Vincent Kayakamanu onto the stand. So Vince Kayakamanu is a lieutenant. Uh, he was a detective for the Fremont County Sheriff's Office. Uh, we know Vincent. We went to high school with him. Uh, his mm -hmm. sister was on the stand a couple of weeks ago. She was one of the dispatchers. Well, last week. Last week. And they had Vince on the stand for the better part of the day after that. Mm -hmm. It was nothing new. They were talking about, yet again, going over the night that Tammy died, uh, The what went on with the... Uh, or the you know, the morning that Tammy died, what went on with the coroners and he had never heard of Tammy before this, but uh, he talked a little about how at that point they had two departments in Arizona, the FBI, Madison and Fremont all, you know, working in conjunction on this kind of broad case that just kept getting bigger and bigger. The one thing that he did talk about that was new was an email exchange between Tammy and her son, Mark. I remember Mark was on a mission in Africa. Yeah. And when your kids are on an LDS mission, you don't get to have many conversations with them. They, they've made it a little bit easier now, but uh, mostly you get to have emails and you occasionally get to have a phone call. Mm -hmm. So she and Mark had a fair amount of email exchange. Oh, Rhonda was in court today. She said yeah. she felt like the jury believed it. Oh, yeah. It was a stunning moment, wasn't it? Oh, my gosh. Our courtroom absolutely exploded. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Did people gasp, Rhonda? Please tell me. Was there a gasp in your room? <laughs> I'm dying to know. Okay. <laughs> so there was this email between Tammy and her son, Mark. And, of course, there was a big brouhaha about it and lots of objections and mm. it had to be a sidebar and yada yada. So Blake uh, asks Kayakamanu to read from the email in an excerpt. So here's what she, he read. Now, on the same day, 
I was coming home from clogging. It was about 9.15 and I backed into the driveway. I was getting some items out of the back seat. We had mm-hmm. made freezer meals at Enrichment. Enrichment is a gathering of the women at the church. It's Remember we talked about the Relief Society, that she was the first counselor? Yeah. Enrichment is a gathering that the women do once a month to do some kind of an activity together or something like that. So that's what she was coming home from. She had groceries to bring in from the freezer meals that they had made. Uh, she said, I looked up, she saw somebody and she looked up and thought it was uh, dad or Garth, Chad or Garth, to help her carry her stuff in. Nope, it was a guy with a ski mask on with a rifle pointed at me. Tammy asked the guy what he thought he was doing before realizing it was a paintball gun. She said the gun kept firing, but nothing was coming out. She was hearing a click and a whoosh. She said, asked him over and over again what he thought he was doing. She said, this absolutely melted my heart. Tammy, she considered hitting him with her clogging shoes. Yeah, I I loved that. Instead, she yelled for Chad and the guy ran away. Then she ran in the house and got Chad and Garth. They came out. They looked around. They didn't find a guy. So they couldn't find him. But... Then they called the police and somehow there was a suggestion that this was a bipolar teenager from down the street that wandered around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. A few things with that. It's not a neighborhood. I mean, it is, but it's not like an in in town neighborhood. Yeah. It's not like there's sidewalks to wander up and down and stuff. This kid was walking up and down highway 33. Right. I don't know. But supposedly there's some wayward bipolar teenager out there and surely it was him. I hated this a Mm -hmm. lot. I hated this conversation. Yeah. Uh, So we'll get back to that. Blake brought in a PowerPoint exhibit with some more information from the Homer J. Maximus account, you know. Alex's account but if they called it Alex's account then they got an objection because it's just the Homer J Maximus account we don't know that Chad or Alex was using it oh feck off yes yeah we, we do. do come on the love so this was one that was really interesting on October 1st Alex searched for directions to Mesa from Gallup New Mexico interesting That same night, he, at 7.52 p.m., he searched for a specific address on Phelps Street in Gilbert, Arizona. This was that brand new residence of Brandon Boudreaux's, who nobody had the address to, except for Brandon and Melanie and Brandon's family. Yeah. And Melanie. Yeah. (laughs) The next morning, he searched for directions to that same address again at 7.17 a.m., and it's the last time the address was ever searched. Hmm. hmm. I wonder why. Isn't that weird? That's so weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that something? I know. I wish she would have pounded him right in the freaking face with those clogging shoes. Right. Me too. Wish she would have put him on and done a dance on him. Yeah. I know. Poor Tammy. But I thought it was really sweet that she was like, I thought about fighting back. I had my clogging shoes. <laughs> I know. I, know. I had really my freezer cute. dinners. Yeah. You know? 
That was just sweet and sad, but good for you, Tammy. Uh, then we started talking about some other searches in his search history. On October 8th, the day before Tammy was shot at, he started searching for a 6.5 Grendel drop from 100 yards to 200 yards and 100 yards to 300 yards. All right, let's get all gunny. And if you're gun people and you're listening to this and I don't get it quite right, it's it's okay. But you can correct me. It's fine too. But Grendel, it was the gun. It was an Alexander Arms Grendel 6.5, uh, basically an AR style weapon. Mm-hmm. And the drop means if I'm shooting my gun from 100 yards, how much can I expect the bullet to drop before it hits the target? or if I'm at 300 yards, or if it's really cold outside, or if it's windy. Mm-hmm. All of these searches about the gun distance. He also had searched some things about drilling a gun for the... Uh, oh, we'll get there. But for the silencer type thing that he had put on it. Oh, <laughs> Donna said she was robbed one time. Threw her Diet Coke at the guy. He had a gun and she was hysterical. He went ahead and took her purse and left. Oh, Donna. I wish it would have worked. Me too. Uh, Rhonda, yes, she'll stay in jail. She has never been able to bond out. So she will stay in jail until sentencing. She's not going anywhere. Uh Uh, She may even be uh, transferred to the place where they do the uh, evaluation to decide where she's going to go. Or she might just sit in the Ada County Jail. Madison Mm -hmm. says she's not coming back here. Yeah. I don't think they want her. I think they're very over her. Yeah, as they had, is they the had rest of the years. world. Yeah. So he'd done those searches on the gun. He'd done a bunch of searches about the gun. Uh, searching about using an AR-15 in cold weather. The day that Tammy was shot at, it was only 26 degrees outside that night. It was really cold. Mm-hmm. And he had done some searches about that. He also had done some searches after he missed Tammy. Well, this was that was actually after he missed Tammy, too, on October 10th when he searched about the cold. Uh, <laughs> on October 12th, so this is three days after he missed Tammy, he did a bunch of Google searches regarding guns, firearms, and ammunition and what kind of caliber it would take to be able to shoot someone through the windshield of a Dodge Dakota. Any guesses on who drove a Dodge Dakota? Tammy did. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that something? Awful. That he was going to try and drive up to her and shoot her through her windshield? Yeah. Then we know he went to the Sportsman's Club all of those times. We know he signed in as C-Quint. Uh, as we know, he loved Captain Quint from the movie Jaws. Which and again, not, that's my favorite movie. He can't have that movie. No. Well, he's gone, mm. so. <laughs> I don't mean to uh, be a bitch here, but uh, he, him dead. Yeah, <laughs> For sure. Uh, so, the, sorry, I've gone off track. Again, the prosecutor, or the defense is like, ah, objection. How do you know that was Alex? Nobody knows that that was Alex. And they're like, well, 
we're making an educated inference because it's the same thing on his license plate. Duh. <laughs> I mean, God, Alex. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. this, this was not genius level subterfuge Anything. going on. <laughs> no, not even close. Yeah. So they're like, again, we're inferring that because that's what was on his license plate. Right. That shouldn't be. That, that would be hard. a pretty weird coinkydink if someone else was using sequent while he's driving around with it on his license plate. For sure. So then they started talking about the guns that they found in Lori's garage. Remember, there was like 46 of them. So they had been initially at the Madison County Sheriff's Office. And then Kayakamanu had issued a warrant to bring them to the Fremont County Sheriff's Office. And then some of them were transferred to the Ada County Sheriff's Office uh, to be held as evidence, you know, in preparation for this trial. So Blake admits two photos of firearms and Thomas objects and says, we don't want pictures. We want the guns brought in. Blake's like, why? The pictures are totally adequate. And he's like, no, if we're going to say that she thought it was a paintball gun and that these guns just kind of look like a paintball gun because see she thought she saw a hopper on top of the gun that she thought was a paintball gun right well that gun had a scope a vortex scope on it that could look like a hopper on a paintball gun if you really weren't expecting a gun in your face you and know it was dark it was after nine o'clock in october it would have been pretty dark here mm -hmm. you know and so she didn't see it well enough and and definitely wasn't expecting somebody to be facing her down with an ar in her driveway right. you know right so there's that uh you know so he says no we want to see the guns and the judge is like all right well to see the guns that's going to take a minute let's use the pictures right now and then we'll bring the guns in later he basically he said we have to talk about the protocol of bringing firearms into the courtroom right so we're not going to do like they did in the uh, in the Murdaugh trial where that idiot pointed the gun at the prosecutor several times and said, huh, tempting. Yeah. Yeah. It was Har gross and stupid and weird. That was everyone's favorite Dick Harputlian. Yeah. Oh my God. And he's such a tiny little dude that he could barely hold that gun up. <laughs> that part <laughs> was hilarious to me. It was a yeah. big, long rifle and he could barely hold it up. Mm -hmm. So she shows him pictures of these two guns. He recognizes the one as the, uh, as the Grendel that they were talking about. And they let this in as a demonstration exhibit. Thomas objects and says the image is inflammatory. And they don't know for sure that's the gun that was used the night that Tammy was shot at. And it's prejudicial, prejudicial to admit it. They're basically like, look, we're going off of the guns that we found and the description of the gun that Tammy said. And basically of all the guns Alex had, it pretty much had to be this one. Well, and the ones he was he was searching. I mean, yes, there's a lot of steps of connecting all of this together. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they had he'd searched for that Grendel and all the stuff about it. So basically the judge was like, yeah, bye bye. And. So then they start talking about the email, the email that Charles sent to Tammy, you know, claiming that there might be some cheating going on. And he asked, or she had asked if there was ever any proof that Tammy read the email. There's not. 
they also asked about the email that Charles sent to Chad on the same day, telling him he needed to quit talking to Lori and that he needed to tell his wife what was going on. Then they start talking about a geofence. He requested a geofence mm-hmm. from Google. This is really interesting. To get a geofence, you have to get a warrant and take the warrant. And there's a spot in Google that law enforcement can log into and send them the warrant. And then Google will send them reference numbers to everyone they found in that area that would match uh, the fence that they're looking for at the specific time. And then they have to take those reference numbers back to the judge and get another warrant for the specific ones that they want to explore. And then Google will spill their guts. It's pretty mm-hmm. interesting. It's quite a process. But so it does they, mean they can't just get anything for about anybody anytime without right. laws. Mm-hmm. So, Google responded to that warrant with four identification numbers and he went ahead and served a warrant to learn who those identification numbers were associated with. And one of the geofences was for around the Salem church and the other one was for around Chad's house. So just again, we're talking about Alex's activities around that area on October 18th. And We know that uh, on October 18th, he was at the Salem Church from 10.07 to 10.45 p.m. And then at 11.53, the Homer J. Maximus device was picked up on Wi-Fi seven minutes away from the Salem Church, headed towards Highway 20. None of the geofence warrants showed anything for Chad Daybell's devices. Right? He said that he was home the night Tammy died. Yeah. But yet again, they outsmarted Alex. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it was hard work, but they did outsmart Alex. Yep. And uh, yeah, Chad had all of his, all of his data turned off. All of his uh, locations turned off. Convenient. Yep. Then they talked about the life insurance policies. There were two, as we know. We talked about these here in the last few days. We also know now that there are two counts of insurance fraud against Chad in Fremont County. And then we broke for lunch. When we came back from lunch, of course, we are uh, back with Vincent Kayakamanu. Uh, one interesting note from Nate is that they, he had seen Garrett Smith, you know, the Garrett Smith, the attorney of all of the wayward uh, Arizona people, and also Josh Garner. Apparently, Josh Garner is has been representing Melanie Pulowski in Idaho. Oh. So we know Josh well. I went to, I graduated with Josh. No, I graduated with Josh. Did you graduate? Oh. Older brother, but Josh, uh, oh, my daughter right. has trained alongside Josh's son for a million years. Yeah, I had mm-hmm. no idea Josh was associated at all, but um, can't wait to see him next. Anyway, <laughs> probably won't tell me shit. But uh, anyway, so she had, Melly Pulowski had both of her attorneys at court. Yeah. Yeah. Why, bro? Why? Why? Anyway, we'll get there. So... 
now we have Vince Kaikamanu back on the stand. And so now they're bringing in the guns. And the <laughs> boy says to the jury, we will make sure all firearms are unloaded and steps have been taken to render them inoperable. And also, you guys don't get to touch the guns. <laughs> That's basically what he tells the jurors. So, like they, like they would want to. Like, come on. Yeah. So in comes the AR. It's the Alexander Arms Grendel 6.5 with the Vortex scope on it. And there's also two solvent traps that were drilled in to make homemade suppressors. We've heard before that he had a homemade silencer on this gun. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. They called it homemade suppressors. Uh, or homemade... Uh... Anyway, I don't know. But that's that basically... So he had actually drilled physically into the gun to be able to put these on it. But... So they hold up the gun so that the jury can see it. Uh, a deputy comes forward and pulls the AR out of the box. Kaya Kamanu points out where the scope is. And Blake asks him to point out where a hopper could be on a paintball gun, which he does. Thomas is kind of right in the middle of that, too. Kaya Kamanu says in his experience, a paintball gun can resemble an AR. And absolutely they can. Mm -hmm. they're, they're built to look like an AR. They are. Yeah, lots Not of them. Not all are. of them, but lots of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Blake doesn't really have anything else. She didn't want the damn gun in there anyway. At one point, uh, somebody said something about uh, they couldn't think of anything else an AR would be used for. Or, or what would an AR be used for? And I said too loudly to Aunt Sue, shooting up grade schools. And everybody <laughs> turned and looked at me. Uh, some not very uh, pleasantly. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, this is Idaho where, well, people it's, are gunning. It, it, it's a gunfucker state. That's all oh, I got to yeah. say. Oh, yeah. A lot of amosexuals yep. around here. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So Thomas comes up on cross, of course, goes over Kaya Kamanu's professional background, goes over the events of Tammy Daybell's uh, the morning that Tammy died. Uh, he didn't actually get involved in the investigation for Tammy until March. And Tammy, of course, died in uh, October, but it's kind of dumb. I A lot of the questions, you know, as we know, it's just kind of task questions. It's kind of where it started. But then he wants to know more about the email Tammy sent to her son because they had just read the first excerpt. Well, then he wants the whole email to be discussed. So, okay, fine. The first page is a discussion mostly about church stuff. The second page, Tammy talks about the dog getting stolen. The neighbor's dog got stolen. And the neighbor freaked out, chased the person who stole the dog, confronted the thief, got the dog back, and promptly went into labor. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> She's oh, telling wow. this uh, whole story to, uh, you know, to Mark. When your kid's on a mission, you're kind of coming up with shit to say, you know? You're telling them what's going on in your everydays and what's who's doing what and what's going on and stuff because you... You're trying to keep them abreast of what's going on at home and to have things to talk about. You can really see her kind of pulling out, hey, here's some stuff that happened that you might think is wild, you know. There's the whole dog situation. So that was actually in the email. So then uh, on the last page of the email, 
He points out a paragraph that starts with his theory. Kayakamanu says it's relating to a neighbor. Uh, that the neighbor has a theory that the crazy dog lady and her husband came to try to steal the dog again. So Tammy says uh, the theory is that she spooked the man and he took off. This idea that maybe it was the dog thieves that actually were in her driveway with the paintball gun. So, especially well, because sure he ran away. Be like, why would anybody be here firing that thing at me? Like, I'm sure she was just trying to figure out what the hell happened. Yeah. Yeah. So there is that theory. And then they read again what happened the night that, uh, you know, the gunman was in the driveway. He asks him a little more. And Kayakamanu says, I could have given him a high five, a fist bump for sure. He says, I didn't ever get to talk to Tammy because she died before I would have ever had that chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was really happy that he said that and the way he said it. But so now they talk about the whooshing sound. So Thomas asks Kayakamanu if he's ever fired a Grendel 6.5. He hasn't, but he's fired other ARs and is familiar with them. Um, he wants to know if there's a whooshing sound when ARs are fired. He said it wouldn't be a whooshing sound unless there was a suppressor on it, and then it would be very quiet, like a quiet whoosh. Mm -hmm. Whoosh was said a lot of times. <laughs> a lot of times. And... It was cracking me up a little bit. Okay. Was it like a whoosh or a whoosh or a whoosh? I don't know. That, that, that was just my question. That was mine. But uh, so he also said that if he was using a suppressor, he probably would have had to use some specialty bullets. And there was some uh, reloading equipment in Alex's stuff. But Kayakamanu didn't know if it was the right stuff or if that really would have been what he was doing with. But yes, there was a lot of whoosh talk. So he also had asked him something about if the gun clicks, would it click and whoosh? And he said, no, probably not. It would click or whoosh. I don't know what any of that was really going to prove. I mean, we're talking about the recollections of a dead lady. Right. But he was just trying to put any doubt that maybe this wasn't Alex at all, you know. So Come then, on. What about mm -hmm. the frog dog pants? Did they yes. say frog talk about 400 more times? There was some talk about the frog dog pants. <laughs> that was the other one that killed me. <laughs> the search history, yes. Oh, it gets the search history gets so much worse, you guys. Um, oh. right, maybe oh. right now, go ahead and gird your loins. Not your loin fires, just your loins, because it gets worse. Um Thomas asked Kayakamanu to read a portion of the email, again, where she talks about maybe hitting him with her shoes. And then they go back again to the bipolar teenager theory. So Kayakamanu says, yeah, we talked to some people in the area about the bipolar teenager. And it turns out he actually is an autistic kid who lives way further away from the Daybells than uh, would have been walking distance. And they just ruled him out because... That was wrong. Yeah. And stop diagnosing people with things. My mm -hmm. God. 
Thomas kind of, he was like, I don't want to keep picking on the teenager, but can you tell me a little more? Like, he was a little bit more sensitive about it. It was kind of, it was pretty harsh. It was ugly. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So they also didn't do any kind of investigation into the dog theory either. So Thomas is like, okay, so you guys never followed up with the teenager. You never followed up with the woman who tried to steal the dog. So, like, did you follow up with anyone? And they're like, no, we didn't. Because we already knew who did it, duh. (laughs) Yeah. So then they get back into the PowerPoint, and they're talking about gun laws and whether you have to register a serial number when firearms are purchased. And asked if it was ordinary for someone who owned one of the Grendels to Google some things about it, like how far it shoots and what the drop is and stuff like that. And he's like, no, no, I don't think that that's not abnormal. You know, you might do that. Yeah. That's probably not wrong. You know, it does indicate planning to use it for something. Mm -hmm. Then he says that, uh, also, if you have a new gun, maybe you would want to go to target practice and maybe you would want to look up the range the gun can fire so that you can go to car- target practice. And Kai Kamanu says, yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. So then Thomas says, you know, uh, in an attempt to not mislead the jury, we need to talk about more of Alex's search history. Because on the day that we're talking about the Grendel drops and stuff and the frog dog pants, there were some other things in his search history that you didn't mention. And Kai Kamanu got super funny, or bashful. It's like, well, yeah, those are just things that I didn't know that needed to be mentioned. Well, the things, and I apologize for the slur. I'm going to say it like he said it because this is what he said. Because this is what Alex searched for. Alex had searched for trannies and porn. Quite a bit of porn, it sounds like. Yeah. Just gets to be a bigger asshole all the time. He's Jesus. still Alex. Yep. Yep. Everybody was like, oh, okay then. Well, I don't think that should surprise anybody, really. <laughs> then Thomas wants to know from the sign-in sheet at the gun range, if they ever looked through the other signatures and tried to interview anybody who would have been at the gun range around the same time Alex was to identify him. And he says that they did not. I wish they had. I really wish they had. Mm-hmm. You would really think that maybe, uh, you know, maybe they would, but they did not do that. No. So again, he's like, ah, yeah. So basically it's that idea that like, ah, you say he was there, but he never really signed his name and nobody saw him. So, okay. Except he did sign his name some of the times. He wrote his first name a couple of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never put his full name. It never said Alex Cox, but. So then they talk about the guns and the baffles on the gun. So again, the baffles are actually used to silence the uh, the gun. So Blake comes back with some follow-up questions. She asks them why no detectives responded to Tammy's house the morning she died. Because that's true. No detectives came. The reason why is because the assistant coroner was there first, uh, Greenhall. And she had called Detective Mattingly and discussed it with him. And then, of course, uh, Brenda Dye got there later, and they didn't, there wasn't a need, in their opinion, for a detective to be there at that point. 
Then, of course, they talk more about the Jeep. I'm so tired of talking about Alex's geofence and Jeep. And, oh, my God. It's just and, so much. Yeah. Uh, she asks Kayakamanu if the bipolar teenager or the husband of the dog thief seemed like plausible suspects. And he says no. She said, do you get reports of mass? Do you get a lot of reports of masked gunmen in the area? And he says, no. Definitely not. He also said, you know, that besides the blinking light at the intersection, which we've told you guys about, uh, there's no other light in the area. And Blake asked Kayakamanu if he can tell if the gun was threaded for a silencer or a suppressor. He said it was threaded for a suppressor and that that would definitely change the sound when fired. She asked him, when you conduct an investigation, do you go where the evidence leads you? And he said yes. He again reiterated, with Blake's help, <laughs> I'm sure she liked this the first time, uh, that he was not able to question Tammy Daybell because she uh, was killed 10 days later. Right. Then they have a sidebar. And then Boyce says he needs to address, uh, and then they kick the jury out. They say we're going on a 30-minute break. So our courtroom erupts into, you know, nonsense. And then I realized, no, we're not on break. The jury is on break. We're still that in court. So keeps we get happening, yeah. Right back to business. So the first thing they're talking about is... Uh, There's an Idaho rule that says parties must stipulate to allowing large items or guns versus photos of the items. So in the future, you can't uh, just say you're going to use a picture. There's a rule that says that, uh, you know, if somebody wants the actual gun in there, that we have to do that. So the prosecutor is like, hey, fine, whatever, whatever. So then they start talking about the exclusionary rule. And this is where we learn that Melanie F. Pulowski has violated mm. the exclusionary rule. She's there with her attorneys and her husband and was meant to testify. And she has admitted that she has violated the exclusionary rule. What's the exclusionary rule? That's the rule that says when we subpoena you and let you know that you are going to be called as a witness, you are not allowed to follow any testimony of this case. By law. David Warwick, dumb, dumb Warwick. Who mm -hmm. did the same thing? Well, so did uh, April, mm -hmm. the Hawaii friend. So, and the defense is like, yeah, so she can't testify um, because her husband, uh, you know, is with her by default uh, and is traveling with her. He can't testify either. And of course, the prosecution's like, wait a goddamn minute, because they need Melanie's testimony. I thought they needed Ian's testimony more. I was wildly disappointed in Ian's yeah, testimony today. Yeah, they really didn't go I, anywhere. They said, we believe Ian has violated the rule because he's talked to his wife. And his wife has admitted she violated the exclusionary rule. Melanie is a feckless coward. Yes, she is. She did she this on purpose. The rule. You bet she did. Now, she's not off the hook yet. She may still testify. Uh, the judge has to decide if what she did was bad enough to preclude her or not. But or give her charges. Throw her ass in jail. Our bailiff said no. He said there's really no recourse other than you don't get to testify. Are you kidding? That's such crap. 
But right, this is my question. And a lot of the chatters are asking this too, because we have thought she might have some kind of a deal. And if she does, and she has screwed this up, does that throw her deal out the window? We don't know, because we don't know if she does have a deal. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a guess based on, she lived right next door to Tammy, or to Lori. I mean, I don't know, but it sure seems like the guiltiest of parties are the ones that have showed up with their attorneys, you know? So, Lindsay Blake said, Ian has not violated the exclusionary rule, and we can't just dismiss him just because he's married to Melanie. So, Boyce says, let's bring Ian in for questioning first and see if he violated the rule. The state can still call Melanie, but uh, Boyce will just basically have to... Uh, Take that up. They didn't want them as a package deal. They're like, we need to talk about Ian. We need to talk about Melanie. Mm -hmm. So let's do Ian first. And then the state can still call Melanie, but Boyce is going to have to interview her and decide if what she did was egregious enough to not be in the courtroom, to not testify. Again, at this point, I was so pissed off at Melanie that I couldn't even see straight. People mm -hmm. in our courtroom did not understand why that was such a big deal. But that is a big deal. Yeah, it is. Because she's big a chicken deal. shit. Absolutely. And doesn't want to testify against her Aunt Lori. Mm-hmm. Tells you she's still on her side. That or she's That's just such boss. a big fucking coward. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. My God, Melanie. We are talking about your dead kin. Yeah. And this is who you are. This is what you do. I don't think any of us should be surprised. And I'm not surprised. I'm just pissed. Pissed. Anyway. So we get uh, Ian on the bench. And Ian says that uh, he says actually his wife has not listened to any witness testimony. But after Brandon Boudreaux testified, she looked at some headlines. That's what they said. So now I I'm bet like, she did. I'm like, did she actually violate the exclusionary rule then? Or is Archibald just really pulling hard to not get her in the courtroom? I personally am thinking that she is still testifying. I'm still pissed off and frustrated and disgusted. But I'm kind of now thinking that might not be the case. Maybe we'll Makes you wonder, her. but it's so interesting that she would look at Brandon Boudreaux's stuff. Of course, he's her ex-husband. But, you know, is she ever going to catch some charges for trying to kill him? Mm -hmm. Good questions. This is when I tweeted that she was an asshole. And Twitter brought up this warning and said, most people don't tweet out words like that. Would you like to rethink that statement? So I called her a twit instead. It's not what I wanted to say. I said mm -hmm. a lot worse in our group chat. It's true. Yes, I said did. worse in the courtroom to Aunt Sue. <laughs> so disgusted. But let's go back to Ian. So Ian basically says that he has not done any of the things he's not supposed to do. And, you know, Archibald hammered him. Blake hammered him. He says, no, he's done the things he's supposed to do. There was really no reason to preclude his testimony. So Ian is in. Okay. Now they bring the jurors back. At this point, it's three o'clock. Like, there's not much court left to have today. So Ian says he met Lori briefly right after he started dating Melanie. He started dating Melanie somewhere between November 20th and 25th. And... 
So Melanie was living next to Lori in Rexburg. She and Ian, I, he didn't say this, but I'd heard before that they'd met themselves or met themselves, probably that too, met each other on a dating site uh, and had started talking. He was recently divorced. She was very recently divorced. And they started talking and bada bing, bada boom. They were immediately in love and getting married. In like so, two weeks. I mean, oh, it yeah. Was ridiculous. Yeah, it was super, super fast. So she met them at Mel Melanie's apartment in Rexburg. Uh, he knew that Lori was, or that Melanie was so close to Lori and Chad that he actually asked their permission to propose. Uh, he said he probably spoke with Lori less than a dozen times and had even fewer interactions with Chad. Uh, he said that Lori had been discussing beliefs about possession, locking Satan away. He said those are two of the things that stand out the most. He said Melanie was present for all of the conversations he had with Lori. He said Lori did talk about castings. He said even when Chad was there, Lori did most of the talking and Chad just kind of acted like a support to what Lori was saying. But it was Lori that was feeding him all of this stuff. He said he was willing to listen to it because he is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they do talk about personal revelation, and so he was interested to hear what they had to say. So he and Melanie go to Las Vegas and get married. They're staying in the Bellagio, and they had taken two of Ian's children, or Ian's children, with them. And the night after they got married, Melanie spills her guts about all of this crazy shit going on with Chad and Lori and the kids and all of these beliefs. And he is like heartsick. They wake up the next morning and his, one of his children is missing and they search for her for 15 minutes and he's absolutely frantic. And then they hear some giggling behind one of the big drapes and she was hiding the whole time because <laughs> you know, kids think they're funny and shit. Mm-hmm. But it shook him up because he was like, these people hurt kids, or maybe they hurt kids. And so he went home and he called the police and sat down with uh, some officers and talked to them about what he experienced. And... They asked him to uh, listen and observe and report back and to make some recordings for them. He had already been told, yet again, Lori. Lori had told Ian to be very wary of the Rexburg police because there were two detectives on the police force that were dark and possessed. Detective Hermosillo and Detective Hope. Yeah. The first ones to show up at her door looking for her kids. Mm-hmm. And Hermosillo, we've seen him on the stand already. We've seen Hope, I think, too, haven't we? But anyway, I always, our, our room burst into laughter about that because, um, yes, okay. As usual, people you don't like are the dark ones. Mm -hmm. People looking into you and not buying your bullshit. Yeah. So he was worried for the safety of himself, of his children, and of his ex-wife. So, again, it was less than a week after he married Melanie that he went to the police. Blake said, in those recordings, did Chad or Lori ever confess a crime? And he said no. 
He said the recordings mainly complained or, or contained religious beliefs from Chad and Lori. Uh, Chad and Lori had told him to cooperate as little as possible with law enforcement. He said there was an arrogant, flippant attitude towards law enforcement from Lori and that Chad was really urging them to move back to Arizona and get out of town. I mean, Ian has children and shared custody. You know, I don't think his original intent was to just pack up and leave town, but they were really pushing him to get out of town. Of course, mm -hmm. because Melanie knew plenty. Yeah, she did. He said that Ian, Ian said that Melanie looked at Chad and Lori like mother and father figures. And Melanie was open to their religious beliefs and basically had told Ian, this is what they're saying. What do you think? And Ian was like, huh. Real concerned about all of this. Uh, he said that Melanie was absolutely closer to Lori than she was to Chad. And that was it. Blake had no further questions. Lindsay Blake, what are you doing? I Why? know. I was blown away There's by so that. There's so much more with yeah. Ian and with the laptop and his ex-wife. And I'm sure it's coming. Probably from the ex-wife, from Natalie. But What? What? I couldn't believe it. We were dumbfounded when she rested at that point. We're like, that's all? That's all you're going to get from Ian? Okay, fine. So then, of course, uh, Thomas goes on cross and he's like, well, you guys didn't play the recordings? We want to hear the recordings. So Blake asks for a sidebar. They talk for a little while. It's 321. I think we're all real clear that court's done for the day, you know. Mm -hmm. So Boyce comes back and says that the defense does intend to use the recordings and they need to be prepared to play those in the morning. And they dismiss for the day. So tomorrow we're going to hear the recordings of what was going on there. Mm -hmm. So that's all we know. That's all we know. There's so much more with Ian. I could just scream. I can't believe right? it. Maybe they will recall him. Maybe this, the rest of Ian's story will come from the in the form of uh, his ex-wife. That's my best guess. Yeah, that's very possible. I really thought there would be more from him. I was shocked. So is Melanie still going to be on the stand? It is still likely. She didn't really. I mean, she didn't do anything as bad. What she did wasn't as anywhere near as bad as what David Warwick did. Right, right. And actually, even what April did. So yeah. I suspect she will be, except for Melanie is a moron. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen when they question her and they're like, so what you read some headlines? Oh, yeah. And then I, who knows? Who knows what she will who say? Who knows? If you've listened to that, Melanie and Ian, um, or watched the, the interview that um, East Idaho News did a long time ago, and some of mm -hmm. you in here said you had, you will be familiar with her word salad. Mm-hmm. She just talks around and around and around in circles. So who knows? Hmm. Yeah, somebody said, I don't know if it was about her, but that she's uh, all word salad, no dressing. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Pretty much. So I just put a link to uh, today's notes from Nate, and there is links to all three of those interviews with the Pulowskis. And if you're interested. Yeah, he did a big, long thing with them. Yeah, with their attorneys sitting in the wings, letting them know what they could and couldn't say. Yeah. Melanie has had an attorney for a long time, you guys. Why? Yeah. Why? Right. Because she knew a lot of shit. She still does. And she had attorneys I, from two states with her today. Yeah. I am going to seriously hold space that she still gets to testify. But I could still just 
I, I'm still dumbfounded that we're in this place. And that how sad is it that it's that easy to get out of testifying if you don't want to just by breaking the rules? Right? Yeah. Are they really going to let her get away with that? Yeah. This freaking dunderhead. No, Ian's Ooh, not she's a little shit. Mm. Ian's not released as a witness. No. No, they still they're going to do the, they're going to do the tapes. Mm -hmm. They want to do the tapes. So that's what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, Melanie's encounter with the police in Utah is awful. It is so hard to watch. But Melanie ought to thank her lucky stars that those children were taken and hidden like that. They might not be alive. Right. Audrey said this morning that towards the end of her friendship with them, that Lori and Chad said that Melanie Pulowski was dark and two of her children were. Yeah. 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 And remember how Lori told Zulema that they would all be fine because Melanie's got lots of money. Mm -hmm. She was going to be supporting them all. And, and Melanie said that made her sad. Like there's inklings of that. She's not as keen on old aunt Lori as she used to be, but yeah. Well, she shouldn't be, she should be, she should be the maddest one. Yeah. The maddest one, that her children's lives were threatened, that her mm -hmm. children's father's life was nearly mm -hmm. extinguished, that she was in the middle of this stuff. They would be very happy for Melanie to go to prison for them. They didn't care about her. They wanted mm -hmm. her money. More than anything, they wanted her money. Yeah. Okay, what laptop? I don't think it was a laptop. I think it was a desktop. But it there was, was a desktop. computer that Ian had that he gave to his ex-wife, Natalie, in, I want to say it was in January. But he left on it this big draft of what he had written, all of these notes that he had written for the police. Yeah. And so she reads all of this stuff and is like, holy shit. So she talks to Ian's mother and tells her how concerned she is. And they all got involved and got involved mm -hmm. with the police and with this case. Yeah. Well, because uh, she was worried about her own children. Her own children. She was really worried about the safety of her own kids. She let those people take those people. She let their dad take them to Las Vegas to marry his new bride that he'd known for about five minutes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Stella said, did I misunderstand that Melanie was there when Chad's neighbor asked Lori about her daughter and she said she had died first meeting? Uh, that could have happened, Stella. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That ha that was yesterday with the Gilberts. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if Melanie was there. This is why we need Melanie on the stand. Yeah. But if Melanie gets on the stand and Melanie's honest, my God, she's going to look like the biggest fool on the planet of Earth. She is, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Uh, my God. So that's what you can expect tomorrow. Tomorrow they're going to play those tapes. I still think that we are going to see Melanie on the stand tomorrow. That's my prediction. Um, mostly it's uh, being outrageously optimistic. It, there's going to be a fight because mm -hmm. the prosecution really needs her on the stand. The defense would be absolutely thrilled to not she have her on the stand. Oh, they did meet Lori at the temple with her niece, Stella. You're correct. That is right. That is right. It was at correct. the temple. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So that's what we'll see tomorrow. It should be another really interesting day. And that's what we know. So we won't be in the courtroom tomorrow. 
will be following along. And Christy, you'll be back tomorrow night with a live. I am. Yes, uh, I will. I'm headed to Montana for the uh, regional tournament for my daughters for softball. So uh, all good vibes welcome. Mm -hmm. They won it last year. And if they win it this year, they get to go to the Midwest and if to play. And if they win that, they get to go to the World Series. So come on. Wow. A little good vibe. Just a few yes, good vibes. Definitely. That would be great. Okay, I'm confused on Chad's next court date because it was supposed to be Friday the 5th, but now they're saying that they are going to adjourn court early tomorrow at 3 because they have a function, uh, mm -hmm. a hearing. So I'm not sure if that is a hearing actually for this case or if it's for Chad's. Chad's was supposed to be Friday, so mm -hmm. I don't know. But it is We'll have week. to see what happens, yeah. And I will be in court on Friday, mm -hmm. so um, I'll be, you know, live posting, and then I'll do a yep. live on Friday evening too. So per always, thank you guys so much for all of your support and your kindness. If you want to support us, you can head over to truecrimesquad.com. There's a couple of ways there to buy us a coffee or give us a PayPal tip. We appreciate it. And it's definitely not necessary or, uh, you know, required in any way. But if you want to drop us a little love, that's how to do it. And we do appreciate mm -hmm. that very much. So, yep, lots of good stuff happening. So, uh, yeah, thanks, you guys, very much. We're going to keep seeing it through. We are going to see Lori get convicted. That's what's happening. Yes, here. that is what's happening here. Yep, absolutely. All righty, guys. Well, take care. Have a good night. This has been yet another production of the True Crime Squad. Bye, everybody.